0: Hey lovelies, welcome to episode number 43 of the journey of self love through self care. In today's episode and session I'm really really excited because I've got, I want to say a friend of mine and also someone that I've done some like done a session with for some music alchemy. I think it was over a year ago now when I reached out to Gary because a friend of mine had sent me your Instagram, and I had a little look through it and music isn't something that I normally would associate healing with because I'm new to this sort of side of things and I'm just more open to trying different modalities and ways to sort of connect to myself or my body so I reached out to Gary and I was going through this sort of transition of like working through an eating disorder and unpacking lots of traumas and stuff like that and I just sent Gary a voice note as I do on Insta and I did a session with Gary which was actually amazing and then I've been privileged enough to also be at Morning Gloryville when Gary got to perform live and take took us on a sound journey, which was just mind blowing. And then yesterday, I went to one of Gary's, um, it was like a little free live concert you did in Hackney. So do you want to sort of introduce who you are, what sort of stuff you do, and we'll sort of like bounce backwards and forwards and just share what we've got to share?
1: Yeah, so thank you for having me. First of all, you're such a beautiful bright light in this world, so I'm really honoured to be invited on to, as we put it yesterday, have a good old spiritual waffle about the stuff that we love. <laughs> love talking about this stuff. Um, so yeah, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Gary Albert, and I'm what I call a music alchemist. I create music alchemy, which is music for transformation, insight, epiphany, and healing. And... I'm on a mission to use my music, whether that's recorded, streamed on live or in live performance or in one-on-one sessions like like we did, on a mission to bring more gentleness, more softness, more slowness, more love, more depth and more connection to our world through music. And for me personally, um, music is, a really really powerful and profound way to do exactly that so of course anything can be used for good or bad um and you know as a spiritual being as somebody who's been on my spirit my own spiritual and healing path for whew, well i suppose we're all on our spiritual path for our whole lifetimes but consciously and purposefully for about 12 13 maybe 14 years now um uh yeah so that's me.
0: So what sort of started your, it it's been about 14 years. I mean, mine's only been peeling off two, about two years ago and each time I peel a bit more, there's just so much more that's popping through. But what sort of began this, like the spiritual sort of journey for you with this?
1: Yes, I hear you so much popping through all the time. <laughs> Had to really sort of just surrender and accept the popping through is just constant basically. Um, So what inspired my spiritual journey? Well I say 14 years and you say two years but if you really think about it you've probably like me and most of you out there listening who are on a spiritual path have always had some kind of interest or fascination with wider issues, wider topics, deeper philosophical things. So um or maybe not i don't know but ever since i was a young kid i've been fascinated and captivated by things like the cosmos the stars the universe energies crystals spirits ufos like anything that was i suppose out of this world i've always been interested in so you'd find me at the library at like 10 years old looking through books about ghosts and spirits and energies and psychic powers and this this religion and that religion and that spiritual practice so it's actually always been an interest and a fascination and I I I can't put my finger on why because the kind of family that I come from isn't that kind of family at all I come from a family that you wouldn't call in quotes spiritual although you know sometimes I think unspiritual people are the most spiritual people um because you know my family are kind and loving and compassionate and 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 beautiful beings um but not in what we would sort of understand as in quote spiritual so i don't really know where that comes from it's a great mystery to me why sort of i have that fascination um but in terms of the 14 year spiritual path what ignited that was um i have a history of um a lot of partying in my very early to late 20s. And I think a lot of people who are now in a, on a spiritual path have a very similar story. Sort of, I don't know why, but it's it's a lot of ex-hedonists and a lot of ex partyers and um, clubbers that sort of end up sort of going the opposite direction. So I was really heavily into my partying, my drinking, my smoking, a few other things. Um, And it it got to the point where I had, I was, it had to stop. It was too much. It was either, you know, continue and cause lasting damage or stop. And I stopped and I met who, who's now my ex boyfriend, who is also my closest best friend now. And he's incredibly spiritual, has been on the path for many, many decades. He was 12 years older than me. And it was getting together with him that I suppose really opened up my mind, my heart and my whole life and world to what I would call proper spirituality. So there was a real shift from a very different kind of life um, in my past to this this new way of living. Um, And I went all holistic, I went all spiritual. Um, I, I trained as a kinesiologist and a hypnotherapist and I had a practice Um, for a number of years doing that whilst I was still doing my music. Music's always been my first love. But um, yeah, I've I've taken a few different paths um, down the holistic route and the spiritual route. Um, Yeah, I'm so glad that I did. It's um, been a fascinating and eye-opening and heart-opening journey.
0: It's interesting because I was also a library, absolute, loved it. Funnily enough, I was like, I must rejoin the library. But my interest was science, so it was, it's funny like I was very much about the body and, and things like that, but wasn't interested in the universe or the planets or anything. And it's only been like since this sort of journey for me has happened. So I was very much in, I guess, this world, even as a kid, I had a big imagination. But yeah. it's, it's lovely to hear that, that, that you was able to have the confidence to nurture that in, your, in yourself as well, to have that curiosity to, to follow that path.
1: Well, i think um even you know that that fascination in the body and in science it's the same thing really that fascination with something you know and it's it's not it doesn't i suppose it doesn't really matter what it is it's about that part of us that's curious and fascinated and captivated and i mean the human body is a whole universe in and of itself right so it's i suppose what i hear from you is that it's that that interest in deeper levels and deeper layers, whether it's a human body, nature, a plant, the universe of the cosmos. I think a lot of people who become spiritual later on in life can look back to their childhood and see some kind of fascination or captivation or mesmerization with, with something. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that would look on the outside as spiritual, but you know, for me, the fascination in the human body is is t- is totally of that ilk, if that makes sense.
0: I think as I was going getting a bit older, it was almost like I was looking for, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Like, why, why do I want to eat like this? Why do I do these behaviours or what? So there was a lot of sort of trying to find out and figure out those pieces of the puzzle. Um, well,
1: well, what is a spiritual path? A spiritual path simply to me is defined as seeking answers to questions.
0: And that's that for me now it makes so much sense if i could go back and talk to that younger girl and say like keep following what you're doing but it was almost like what's wrong with me why do i look like this or why why is this not changed for me or just sort of trying to pick myself apart because i didn't necessarily have that support in the family or the confidence to go with that so i just wanted to ask you mentioned some stuff yesterday when we was at your show about like how things were at home for you what was it sort of like growing up and expressing yourself through your music and how was the was the family like I know you said something stuff like yesterday, but like the support or nurtured or was it kind of just get on with it yourself
1: mm. it's in it's a very interesting thing because the background that I come from and the thing that I do now and the life that I live are sort of polar opposites to each other they're sort of the paradoxical opposites it's like. I'm in a different dimension to my upbringing. So I grew up in working class East London, Walthamstow, which in the 80s, which is when I was born in 83, was not a nice place to live. It was not a good place. People would literally go half an hour out of their way to travel around that area than go through it. So just down the road to where I lived was was um, a place that was nicknamed Murder Mile. So this is in Hackney, East London, which now if you come to Hackney, it's like it's, you know, middle class. It's like a middle class sourdough bakery, oat milk, flat white mile like that same street. So so going back to the 80s, I grew up on a council estate, you know, I mean, there was crime and drugs and all all sorts happening. Um, and we didn't have much money either, so so that's like a little um, insight into my upbringing. And um, you know, it's a, a, bit, a classic story. My dad was an addict and alcoholic, and drugs, and there was it was a let's say an, an unstable experience growing up. And then my mom was the breadwinner, the hard worker, and. Um, when I discovered music when I was about 10 11 years old, um, you know my family always joke, "Oh you know're you must be from a different family gal because you know you're not like anyone else from our family and it's it's true I, I I always felt different and I discovered this love for the flute, very very young, and you know coming from that background with a history of my family of addiction and crime and drugs and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I should have gone down a very different path. I really should have followed that narrative. And for some reason, I was blessed with this moment in a school assembly where the, the, um, the schools were doing an outreach project to encourage kids to take up an instrument. And they sent a wind quintet to our school assembly. And they played this piece of music by a French composer called Francis Poulenc, uh, who's my favorite composer to this day. And I remember all the other kids were laughing and sniggering and sort of making making fun of the noises coming out of the instruments. And I sat there totally mesmerized and captivated. Something in my soul in my deepest, deepest core, my heart activated. And something in me knew that this was for me. And again, I've, I've thought about this my whole life and contemplated what that feeling what's that thing where you just know you're supposed to do that even at 10 years old no concept of spirituality or inner work or self-reflection or anything like that just something in me sparked so powerfully and i was mesmerized by the light bouncing off the flute around the room and the the sound coming out and i just knew that i was meant to do it and i marched straight up to the woman that was playing the flute and i was like i i want to do what you do like, please, and they gave me a flute, and I started flute lessons, and um, that was, I think, the most dramatic and powerful turning point of my life, because it was that discovery of of love and passion for something specific that I could pour myself into, and that blessing literally took lifted me up and out of a pathway that could have gone very, very, very differently in my life. I could have gone down a very dark path. And I think if I hadn't have discovered my gift and passion and love for music and playing an instrument. I wouldn't be where I am today doing what I do now. And um, again, I have thought about that a lot. What is why does that happen for some people and why does it not happen for others? And I don't have an answer to that question. It's a mystery. and I think I've carried some guilt for that as well. Like um, sort of guilt, like why, why should I have discovered a gift and a talent and something that I'm great at and followed that path? And why am I able to do that now? And why do some people go down a very different path? Um, and I think that's had that to do a lot of inner work around that guilt, around being, uh, being that person and i'm at a point now thankfully where i'm able to just to confidently and um lovingly share share that gift with the world in a way that i hope is impactful and powerful
0: before you before that happened at school what was you sort of like as a child like up till then like did you feel like was you looking for something do you feel like was a bit bored or did you just feel like you're just going with everyone else or like just curious
1: what was I like as a child? I was always a show off. I was always a performer. Even before I discovered music, I was always putting on a show, telling a joke, telling a story, creating. You know, I remember creating a theater out of chairs and a duvet and bed sheets. And the I always wanted the magic set for Christmas or um, something that I could perform with and do a show with so I suppose that that soul feeling was always there and um yeah I was I was definitely gregarious and uh, um, sort of razzle dazzle as a kid um, and I definitely get that from my mum my mum is also what I would call a divine show-off she loves telling a story telling a joke and you know in the way that she would, the way that she tells a story is very colourful and theatrical and dramatic, and it sort of draws you in. So I definitely pick up that sense of drama and perform performance from her. And I remember even very very young, my first sort of musical love was the Phantom of the Opera, and I had the CD or the, the tape actually at that at that point, the cassette tape. <laughs> and um, me and my mum learned all of the words to this two hour musical opera. And I remember she used to, um, she would cut paper plates in half and put one, cover one face. So she would be the phantom and she would let me be, well, I, there was no choice. I was Christine (laughs) and I'd be singing "Ah," and she'd be like, sing for me. So, you know, we definitely have that connection of um, theatricality and drama. And she really encouraged that in me. She really encouraged me to be my full self, to be my, you know, obviously I'm flamboyant. Um, I came out as gay when I was 16. And um, I think a lot of kids, young people get taught to not um, draw attention, to not shine, to not um, be the center of attention. You know, we grow up with this narrative, children should be seen and not heard. Don't blow your own trumpet, get back in your box. Don't be overconfident. Um, oh he loves the sound of his own voice you know so we get trained to, to sort of not be in the world as our true selves but I really feel that my mum did the opposite to that she she lifted me up she said yeah show off be fabulous be funny put on a show she really encouraged well I get emotional saying that because um I know that a lot of adults develop a, a lot of Issues around confidence and not feeling good enough because of because of because of these things, and um, I've got so much to be thankful for. I'm not saying I don't have any. I do deal with a lot of resistance and challenge, uh, with with you know, like all of us, issues of unworthiness and not good enoughness and resistance against sort of sharing my talent. But I don't have that deep um, sense of lack of self esteem that I think a lot of adults have from from their upbringing. I you know I got uplifted and um, uh, allowed, the the space of allowing to be myself, I got a lot of that as a kid. So I'm so grateful that, you know, amongst the trauma of, you know, whatever else I experienced, I think that was so key in my upbringing. Um, And then the other thing is that my grandmother was also so central to my journey. I stayed with my grandmother every weekend from a baby up until the age of 17 when I went off to college and every weekend we'd listen to all of her records, Barbara Streiser and Shirley Bassey, um, all the classical, all the classics and the greats. We'd watch the old musical films on that were on the weekend on, you know, little TV back in the day. And uh, um, so sort of growing up with that every weekend, we were really, you know, we didn't have much money, but we had music and we had, film and we had, you know, art. And unbeknown to her, she infused me with so much of that love for music. And again, the theatricality of that music, you know, Barbra Streisand, Shirley Bassey, the, the drama the theatrics. Um, so, so much to be thankful for. Um, these influences before you even discover your gift, these influences and these messages and nudges from the universe are there. So, yeah, that's a little insight into my upbringing and how I sort of yeah became the person I am, I suppose.
0: A lot of it is funny because a lot of stuff I've sort of been studying is like why maybe I didn't have the confidence to be heard or seen at a younger age and sort of like going in and unwrapping the history of it. And from what you're, what you're sharing, it's like your mum gave you that space to be seen and your your grandma did. not it sounds like even though they was going through their stuff they kept themselves grounded to allow you to still be a child and to say i'm putting on a show today and you're going to be part of it or be part of that performance and i was going into like my mum would really encourage the creative side and let me do art and stuff but she wasn't able to give me the quality time to envelop that and develop it so as i grew up i became parentified very young because of situations and it was almost like that stuff was causing me sometimes distress, because you know, being a perfectionist, I'm sure like you can uh, relate with certain things as well. And it's like wanting to be, but not being able to have that support from a parent that's going through. My mum lost her mum very young. Mm. And once that broke, it was almost like she just only had the emotional capacity to make sure, you know, we had a roof over our head and there was food in the fridge and going through like a broken marriage. And it's like, why did I not, it was almost like, why did I not develop at that young age? Because I like to, you know, I'm quite an expressive person, yeah. and sort of going into it and seeing ah, uh, my mum wasn't as grounded, and it's not her fault she was going for that situation, but where I could appreciate where that guilt comes from, because I probably would have known what I wanted to do at a much younger age as well. But that opportunity kind of closed down because all of a sudden I had my brother to be responsible for and things like that so mm. it's amazing to hear when we are nurtured in that way, and what we want as kids is. You know, someone to play with us and to engage with us and to let us put on a show or be dramatic and you mentioned a show you, you had to do and your mum had to you had to film it with your mum screaming. What was the one yesterday <laughs> that really, yeah. really lifted my heart?
1: Yeah, so, so my mum and I, my mum would do anything that I asked her to do, basically. She'd play any role and do anything, dress up anyway. And, you know, if I ever wanted to put a wig on and, and a costume, she'd always get the camera out and she, she loved it. But there was a, a, a great, it was a great story of when I was doing GCSE Media, I had to make a trailer for a horror movie um, as one of our projects, part of our coursework. And so of course I went home straight to my mum. Got to make I've got to make a trailer for a horror movie for school. She's like, oh yes. Well, what role am I going to play? Like she didn't even wait to be asked. She just assumed. (laughs) And um, so I made this trailer about sort of someone keep calling the phone like a stalker, and then. I, I, I asked her to run out of the house and down the street screaming, somebody's trying to kill me, help! With the video camera. And she did it, she absolutely went for it, like so realistic and all the neighbors came out and they were like, somebody was like about to call the police and you know, we were just, she got no, had no um, embarrassment or shame or sort of, oh no, not today, darling, you know, oh God, she absolutely just, and i think there was you know some women i think especially of a certain generation but but also men as well um didn't get the opportunity to embody their creativity and their fullest selves because you know back in you know the 70s and 80s it, 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 there just weren't the resources around and you know coming from a working class family my mum's main objective was to get food on the table to get the bills paid you know and you know my upbringing was challenging and difficult with the way that my dad was he passed away two years ago bless his soul but he had mental health issues and addiction and you know it was uh, a lot there was a lot of instability because of that and my mum was dealing with that so she didn't get that chance to flourish her creative side. So I suppose that that I did, there was that connection there, that really beautiful, deep, playful, creative, fun connection that she relished and and, and sort of thrived on and still does, you know, she's so proud of me. And I, I'm so thankful for having the mum that I had because of that.
0: It's really it's interesting, I was speaking to my friend as well about our upbringing and like with her mum and her, it was almost like there was a lot of competition and it's almost like mum was trying to live perhaps a little bit through the daughter but it sounds like your relationship and having that from your grandma as well it just sounds so grounded and so balanced.
1: Mm. It was but but my upbringing wasn't grounded okay. it, it was manic and instable, unstable um, because of the way that my dad was Um, and so there was a lot yeah it was yeah caused some trauma for me Um, and you know even though i don't have any problem with being seen and being heard you know i'm the archetype of the performer that's what i do i have other issues i have issues with uh, relationships and romance and sex stuff and um, you know other internal issues that sort of i suppose replace the other issues of being seen and heard and um, you know working through those and i have um, I do have ADHD like a lot of the men in my family and I struggle with that and I have struggled with um, my mental health over the years with with ADHD and feeling paralyzed and debilitated at times and feeling like a failure and that that I'm not good enough in other areas and trying to organize my life and do things like pay bills on time and remember to do the minutia of life. That really require that, that's required in order to thrive and flourish as an artist and um, yeah that 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 journey has been such a struggle and so difficult. So um, yeah I suppose I'm trying to balance up this sort of rose-tinted vision of ah oh, being confident and able to express myself because there's other issues that have sort of been blocks to me expressing myself and being my fullest self. And I'm still going through some, a lot of those challenges. Um, but my, my next concert, actually, my next big solo concert, is called Metamorphosis. And it's all about all of the stuff that we're talking about, transforming and alchemizing and metamorphosing all of the shadow and all of that darkness back into the light of self-expression and love and generosity and kindness and uh, music.
0: With um with your dad, did, was he still living with you guys when this was all sort of going on? Was he out the house or was he in the house?
1: Um, in the house. So even though my dad had his issues, um, you know there was aggression and violence between the parents. But um, so seeing that was obviously caused some stuff. But he was extremely loving to me and um always wanted me close by. And he was he's also he was also very sort of theatrical and uh, he was a bring I think like a lot of addicts are he was also had a very bright light side to him very creative and intelligent um, but just didn't know how to hold that brilliance in his life because he had terrible terrible trauma as a child and it wasn't it was only when I was older and I was on my spiritual path that I was able to look at the way that my dad wasn't actually understand why he was the way he was. Before that I just thought he was a terrible person and you know when you're young and immature but I was able to see I can really understand why you've got those issues you know he's abandoned and left in a in a home at like four years old watching his parents just walk off and leave him and uh I mean that just what that does to the soul is it crushes you and then loads of other stuff but um yeah he was around and I mean, it was like a classic, like in and out, separating, getting back together. We left and then come back and then they lived separately and then back together. So it was a lot of um, just yeah, instability, I would call it, and and sort of manic.
0: I'm still working through a lot of anger with like me and my dad. We've had a great relationship. And then when I started doing this journey and started healing with my mum, who's always been the bad person almost it's like all this anger, because my dad had a cocaine addiction and um, when we were younger, and he didn't necessarily have trauma. And it's sort of trying to get my head around well, why would that happen? And I'm looking at what would have sort of triggered that to begin and sort of having that forgiveness and being like, like you said, having that, oh, okay, they was going through something and forgiving myself, but also accepting that some of the things that happened weren't okay. And it's okay to feel your feelings which is funny enough, when i would reached out to you to do that first session, I was going through like healing the wounded masculine and I had all this sort of anger and that, um, I guess almost a bit of entitlement about like, why this happened and why was I not seen or loved the way that I should have been loved and why did the, the addiction come before the children and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I would reached out to you and I thought I want to shift whatever it was and you you created, cause in the music, in the session, you was like, what do you really, like, what's your, what do you want like from inside? And I remember saying something like, I want my soul to be seen. And then you just created this music that you would just performed as and there and to sort of bring that in. And it just felt like something awoke in me just in that one session to say like, this is what I want and it's okay to ask for what I want. Cause that was one of my biggest things. Feeling like I can't ask for something, or if I do ask for it, I'm probably not going to get it. So it's best not to even ask, anyway, mm. and just shut up and get on with it. And you gave me permission to ask me what I wanted, mm. and then you bring that to life
1: for music. music. Yeah, that's so beautiful to hear. I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. That that was your experience. Or well, if I was, I'd forgotten. And that's so beautiful because, you know, when I'm journaling or contemplating who am i as an artist what do i really want to do what's you know what beyond just making music what impact do i want to have it's exactly that like that every, every everyone else's own version of that epiphany awakening insight and transformation whatever whatever it may be for each individual that, that's my deepest wish of course there are going to be people that come to concerts and this is my reason to oh that's lovely music that's really nice really enjoy that and that's totally acceptable i I love that as well. I, I do that as a listener to music. I like to find music that's just lovely to listen to. It doesn't need to always impact me on a deep alchemical spiritual level. Some Sometimes you wanna just listen to nice music, but my, my deepest wish is to create that, like that experience for each individual or as many individuals as possible. And if I can do that in my lifetime, over the next however many hundred years, I stay alive. I'm planning to live for hundreds of years, by the way. Um, uh, but if not, you know, just to the normal age, then I feel like my my work will be done on this planet.
0: Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't really realize until, so funnily enough, just wrapped up my wounded feminine, and part of the course was what do you need to ask for, and it just dropped for me because you you gave me, you asked me, you gave me full permission to. Sit with it and gave me time and space to have it. So, and it was doing this other course, it was like, that's what I needed. And this is what I need to take forward in my adult life. Mm. It's that fear of rejection or abandonment, like even whether it's in a friendship or relationship, when you express what you need to then have that received, or if that person has that capacity to hold that for you or not. So it was beautiful that you was able to take something and also like transmute it with love.
1: Mm, I just love that and what's amazing from my perspective about that is doing those music alchemy healing sessions sort of because I've lived my life with ADHD sort of hopping skipping and jumping I've done you know like a lot of us I've done this training and that training and that healing modality and that course and that program and come back to my music and then left my music and gone down and had a practice in kinesiology a hypnotherapy practice and then I wanted to at one point just like just f it all off and just be a window cleaner or an oven cleaner or something like that i was like i can't be this is all too intense and then coming back full circle (laughs) back to my music but what was amazing doing that session with you and the other people that i've done one-on-one music alchemy healing sessions with is it all came together all the pieces of the puzzle where i'd been hopping skipping and jumping around feeling like a failure every time i did a new course or gave up something or moved on actually i was like oh the grace the wisdom the trust all of a sudden that everything was a stepping stone a next step in the right direction and then there's the mind going oh you just can't stick to one thing you know, because there's this narrative, isn't there, that you've got to know what you want to do for the rest of your life and then just dip it. And for those neurodiverse types and us creatives and visionaries, that's not the way we are. It's not the way that we live. We, 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 we're we constantly seeking the new, new ways of doing things, new ways of bringing things together, new ways of moving forward. And I think that it is those types of people that are going to create this next wave of healing in humanity because how things are going is or how things have been going and are going now is not working. And it's, it's going to require those of us that think differently and are brave and bold enough to do things differently. In that what's, way,
0: what sounds familiar to me with us is I'm, I like trying new things like fun enough. I did. I didn't do the course, but I did some hypnotherapy last year, which helped me. I had a lot of anxiety at night. And in those four sessions, like now I can go to bed at night, like with no, I had separation anxiety unbeknown to me. So healed through that, but growing up, I remember doing a course, I think I was about 28 and I was being a personal trainer and making loads of cash in hand as you do back then. And just sort of everything was like, Oh, what should I, what should I do next? So I did like another training course. And my mum had turned around and said, Oh, what's something else you're going to do and not use. And it was almost like, Joey. I thought, "Fuck you," actually, because one day I'm actually gonna use all this. And now she's like a very big support. But it was almost like, why are you doing something else when you've already you've got something now that you're working at? And yeah. it's almost overwhelming because since this journey in the last couple of years, it's like I want to learn everything. But the same as you, like slowly, all the pieces are dropping in now. So if I want to do a meditation and infuse it with some hypnosis and infuse it with some affirmations and some tapping or some form of kinesiology or something like that, we've all been learning these magical things, which is going to create this hybrid of of creation. Even being able to create through the internet, like to do a session online and create music live with a one-to-one client and stuff like that you know stuff traditionally therapy was you know sit in front of your therapist and you'd have your session and i'm guessing now people record the session so people need to revisit there's just so much that's opened up for us but i feel like as well with the adhd like there are certain bits that really resonated with me when you were talking about it yesterday however do you find because i find with with I, i think adhd you've got like hyper focus so you can really go into something and when you was younger and starting the flu did you find it a challenge to show up for yourself and have a commitment to it and knowing it was a challenge or did you just you just knew
1: not at all i was it was completely the opposite Uh, i was obsessed i would wake up at 5am this is like you're talking so I started about 11, 12 and then when I went to senior schools when I took it seriously, so I was about 13 years old now, I'd get up at 5am to make the hour journey to school because my mom wanted me to go to this specific school out in um, another area, so I'd make an hour journey to school to get to school an hour early to do an, hours of pra- an hour of practice so sometimes when I'd get into school the gates had only just opened or the caretaker had to unlock for me and it would still be dark dark and cold by the time I was in school, in the practice room, practicing, playing my scales and playing my pieces. And oh, just the love and the sort of just adoration of it was just all consuming. I'd go in at break time, at lunchtime, after school. I went to Saturday music school, the local um, Saturday music school, where I did orchestra and music theory and oral uh, music oral. and I'd even, I mean, I even bunked off, like by the time GCSEs, I, I wasn't going to maths lessons at all anymore. I just stopped going and I just went to the music department. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't bear maths. And I think my teacher sort of knew that I was this little creative kid and they just, like, oh, whatever. It was a very different time in the 90s when I was at school. They just let me do what I wanted to do really. Um, but yeah, I just, I'd bunk off lessons and just to go and do my music. Um, so there was no sense of, and this is the thing that I feel so lucky for is that again, kids at school with ADHD who are just because I was very distractible and easy. Like I was a good kid. I was a nice kid. I wasn't disliked or the teachers really liked me, but I was, I was a little bit of trouble. I was always sort of teasing the person next to me or chatting or getting distracted and I couldn't finish my work. And so I was definitely the ADHD kid, but because I had my love for music, I had something to pour myself into, you know, and it created an identity for me. So we talk in spiritual terms, don't we, of releasing ourselves from our identity and the ego, but actually what was really essential for me was having an identity, was creating this identity of being a musician, being able to call myself something and be something, you know, and do my concerts, my school concerts and pass my music exams and go to this place and I had had this world that I was able to create I had real meaning and real focus and, um, and, 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 and an energy around it and so that was so 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 important as a kid with ADHD because it can be terrible I mean it's terrible at school for for children who are just not designed for that environment and i just want to speak to something that you spoke about earlier where where, um, somebody in your family said oh when is this going to be another thing that you do and don't use we have grown up in a world and we live in a world that is set up for generally for it's it's a little bit i mean it's, it's changing but it's still very much focused around just 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 keep at it keep doing that one thing keep focused on that one thing and those of us that hop skip and jump around are, are sort of considered um jack of all trades master of none and actually the original phrase is it's that's only half the original phrase i can't remember that the full
0: i was just trying to remember the full one there because it blew my mind when i found it last year yeah like, i'm just gonna do
1: it. i'm just gonna google it now because it's um it's really It's really fun. So the complete saying is a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Right. So there's this new term uh, that's flying around over the last couple of years called multi potentialite, which is somebody who's into lots of different things, like to learn lots of different things and lots of different skills. Um, And I think it's the way that we assimilate and bring those skills into our own body of work that then we can become a master of. We become a master of our own body of work, our own original and unique way of working that uses elements of this and elements of that and elements of the other. But one of the things that I've really been having to work through over the last couple of years as I've emerged as what I call a music alchemist is um sort of being a bit heretical and, and going against what society expects of me, going against what um other people think I should do or how they think I should go about it. Um and you have to really deal not not only with all those voices out there saying but your own voices in inside here. Um and and all I can say. If anyone is listening that's dealing with this is keep following your choices keep making those bold brave decisions the the biggest bravest most courageous decision the first one that i ever made in my life i think was so important for me so i you know i've already talked about my working class upbringing well when i was 17 i got a scholarship to go to the Purcell School of Music which is basically Hogwarts for little classical musicians but generally really rich for really rich families like a private boarding school for classical music and they take one that they took they take one or two kids from underprivileged backgrounds a year so I was one of those so I got all my fees covered and I went off at 16 17 years old to board in this like crazy um Hogwarts for classical musicians coming from like council estates of East London um, and that was an incredible turning point I was I was with all these other musicians just filled up with music and nourished with music two years there and then I got a scholarship to go to the Guildhall School of Music and Drama which is one of London's top four or five classical music conservatoires and I went there aged like 19 or 20 really really serious serious training for like world-class classical music and towards the end of my first year i was so depressed i was so unhappy i was so locked down because it just wasn't for me and i remember going to my mum and saying i don't think i can carry on i don't think i can do this anymore and you'd expect a parent's response to be, don't be stupid. You've got a scholarship. This is the chance of a lifetime. You're at one of the top four conservatoires in, in London, the country and in the world. Don't be an idiot. She didn't say that. She said, you've got to do what makes you happy. Such wisdom. And she gave me the permission to make the choice that was right for my life. And I dropped out.
0: What do you think sort of affected you to feel that way when you was there?
1: Back at that time, this is going back 20 years now, I'm almost 40, um, back at back in those days, high five, back in those days, um, there wasn't the awareness and the importance around mental health that we have now in education and training. Um, and so when I went to the head of, The conservatoire and said, "I'm really struggling here. I am not happy." The response was, "It's not about happiness. It's about being the best that you can be." And I remember thinking in that moment, in my completely no reference for spirituality at that at that time, really, and sort of inner reflection. I remember thinking, "I don't think you can be the best." If you're unhappy, I just don't, you know, there's this paradigm of the suffering art. You've got to suffer to be an artist, suffer for your art. And I don't agree with that at all. I don't agree with that at all. And I remember not agreeing with it back then. And when he said that, I was like, ah, this isn't the place for me. This isn't the place for me. Um, and it was just so harsh. It felt so harsh to sacrifice my well-being for the sake of trying to be the best, for faster moving fingers, for a clearer tone. I, I didn't want that life. So I dropped out and I went off and I started taking ecstasy <laughs> and drinking and smoking. I went and partied for a number of years. I had to just
0: it go like you and... Yeah, it sounds like you hadn't done the partying bit.
1: <laughs> I had to do the partying bit. But, but looking back in hindsight and reflecting on that part of my life, And going back to what I said earlier about a lot of spiritual people are sort of those ex-hedonist clubs and parties. It's that sense of seeking creative expression, opening the heart, opening the mind, you know, and I know that it's not a great way to do it through those means, but when you're young, it's pretty much the only means that you know. Um, And so there's that sort of sense of that part of you knowing that there's more self-expression more creativity more fun to be had and and you know some of us go down the path of using substances to do that and you know i speak very freely about my past doing those things so i think it's a really it was a massive part of my life i mean it was a very important part of my path um and um it introduced me to a new form of music which i still love to this day electronic house music and um yeah, electronic music, funky house, house music, electronica. Um, uh, yeah, so it was a a fun time, but you know I don't do any of that anymore. I haven't done any of that for ten years, and I'm actually able to access the same level of. Of fun and ecstasy liberation through my own chemistry of my own body through music and dance, ecstatic dance, and I don't need anything anymore to, to get to those levels. And actually, I get to those levels even more powerfully, even more beautifully than I ever did with any substance. Mm.
0: It's um, it's interesting. So I, I went to uni and I lasted three months and I was like massively depressed. I had uh, by this point, I was sleep severely like bulimic. And it's always been like you know you need to go to uni because no one else in the family had gone and this you know you're you're bright you need to do it. I remember coming home at Christmas and I was like painfully thin and my mum looked at me and she went, "Don't think university is agreeing with you. Do you want to go back?" And it was almost like finally like to drop out and I think I did yeah three months and. It was almost like study 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 i did take a year out but i worked in that year and then going straight into this like course of forensic science i thought i don't know what to do i used to like watching csi so i thought i'll I'll follow that path i remember getting into it thinking what the fuck have i done and wasn't i hadn't explored drugs or anything at this point either so i always had a job after school as well so when i sort of dropped out of uni and then got a job that's when I actually had a breakdown as well, and then come out of that and found the party lifestyle. And I feel like it was a stage of my life that I needed to go through because I had, like I said, grown up quite young, and to have that opportunity just to express and dance without even need to talk to anyone, just dance your tits off for hours, and just be in this vortex of like you see your best friend, you'd be like, "I love you so much," and you know, you just feel this pure bliss. I mean it's been a long time, but I also feel like I wouldn't be scared if I wanted to do it because I know it wouldn't govern me anymore. So it's having that sort of balance with it. But would you say it was the lack of fun then maybe, or was it just quite a serious place? Or what would you maybe, if you could go back and talk to that younger Gary that was about to embark on that, do you feel like you would have a more balanced approach with it? Um, Because I feel now like when I've gone back to study in the last couple of years, I'm like, ah, Do a bit of fun go dancing do this study for a bit work for a bit take a break so i feel like i'm learning i don't feel like we're taught how to balance our time when we're younger doing these kind of studies
1: yeah um so there was a really deep knowing part of me that knew that there was more that i needed in life and what it was that i needed was movement and dance and a fuller sense of self-expression that used my whole body and that's why i think i was attracted to dance culture and club culture um because i just loved the music the beat the rhythm that hypnotic never-ending pulsing bass and the, the vocal house i mean it was just when i discovered electronic music and house music it blew my mind i couldn't believe what i was hearing and the way that my body just wanted to respond to it was a revelation and so it wasn't the the drugs were just sort of a part of that culture and a part of that world um but it was really the music and the dance and the movement that that really captured me and so you know playing the flute in in a classical training is is actually quite um sort of held and controlled and um sometimes feels quite sterile. And like, I knew, you know, I was always wanting to be, I almost wished that I, when I was playing the flute, that I played the cello, because when I watched people play the cello, it was like, really dramatic. And they did the, the flourishes, which you can't, well, I couldn't do on the flute, but now I do. You will you've sort of seen when I perform, I really bring through that sort of movement and that, that, that dance and that self-expression. So I found a way to do that. I think it was my soul really calling for me to explore that side of me that I'd never explored up until then, was that sort of absolutely uninhibited sense of self expression through through dance. And now I get that through five rhythms and movement medicine and ecstatic dance um, in, in the more conscious spaces. And again, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I'm now bringing that sense of movement and self-expression that I discovered in club culture into my music and performance now. And I'm still, this is very sort of a fresh opening for me. I'm still, still holding back somewhat in the physical expression, in my physical movement, in my music. And I think it's gonna come through in a much more um, prominent way, um, almost as important as the music itself is gonna be my movement um because there's this sort of spontaneous movement that comes through my body as i'm performing that that is this it's aching to come through even more i um, mean it's only just sort of started
0: see it yesterday because that the way you perform you sort of you do a piece and then you, you sort of record it as you've done it. And then that gives you the freedom to loop that round while that's playing. And then you go on to the next piece to record. And then and then I was thinking, this is so clever. Like you're, you're doing a piece and then it gives you that space to go, oh, what do I wanna bring in next? And it's almost like, I teach in like a laddering system when I do yoga, so it helps me remember what I'm doing, for example. So I'll do something and then I'll add a piece on, add a piece on, I thought, oh, he's laddering. That's how I see it in my brain. So I can sort of utilize it. And then in my head when he was doing, I was like, oh, I do this in the flow and I bring this into the yoga or the breath work. So it feels like whatever it is that you are creating, the body wants to. It was lovely to lay there and receive as well. So I thought I can lay down while you're playing and feel that in my body. But there was bits when I was like, I wanted to get up and move my body when he was doing it. So I can only imagine if it's channeling through you, there's this is part of you trying to get out as well.
1: Yeah, the, the thing I love most about the way that I choose to perform is that it's semi-improvised so i will be inspired by the energy and the presence of the audience to bring through a new layer that's never happened before in live performance that's completely just inspired in the moment so for those of you listening i i do looping and layering so i play the flute the piano sing and electronic synths synthesizers and i will loop and layer and basically create a one-man symphony in the moment so some of it's composed but you know, I'll suddenly be inspired to bring through a, a new texture or a new melody or a new chord sequence or a new thing on the flute or the voice, and so every performance is different, even though it might be you'll recognise certain pieces, certain songs. They are always different, and I do that because I, I want to reflect our world and our universe and our cosmos as an ever-changing body, um, and that that that's so in inspiring and exciting for me to do and yeah the, the, the piece about my body responding through dance I still feel a little bit uh, self-conscious and embarrassed about letting through the fullness of my movement as I perform um, but I definitely did in the concert yesterday let through a lot more than I usually do and it felt really good mm. um, and on my next concert on the 22nd of September I'm gonna really commit to allowing a much fuller embodied self-expression through movement um which feels edgy feels uh scary but i think that's a good sign
0: Do what um accuracy is your relationship or has your relationship been with your body um since you were younger on this journey
1: i have not i think i have had a lot of trauma um and a dissociation because of that and um i think adhd is often related to to trauma not always but often and a lot of my habits throughout my lifetime like um busyness and inability to be still and distraction and lack of focus even hyper focus is actually the same as lack of focus um it's just the other end of the scale so you know you have to find a a healthy medium um certain addictive tendencies Uh, procrastination, all of these things are trauma response and a form of disassociation. And I think for a lot of my life, I was and can still be, in fact, um, unembodied. So I'm working at constantly being aware of my habits and my automatic habits around that. And I've actually been working with a great trauma therapist for three months. He's really, really been helping with that kind of thing. And it's, yeah, it's been a whole new level, you know, like I said, I've been on the spiritual path for years, and then all of a sudden going, oh, God, there's trauma responses that I haven't even begun to think about or, or notice or be aware of. Um, and actually, you know, as a practitioner and as a space holder, it's, it's scary to talk about that stuff publicly, because you think, oh, I need to be sorted and healed and perfect in order to help others. And, and you don't. You just need to be committed to your own path of healing and transformation and uh, that's definitely what I am I know that for a fact um, yeah, so it's a work in progress as always and but you know when I'm doing music I'm performing I feel fully embodied and fully connected to my truest sense of self and to the universe to God um, and my guides and the audience and Every time I perform, I wake up the next feeling with the, with that with the thought and the feeling of, I just want to do this forever. I just want to share my music. I just want to perform and create. And then obviously all of the resistances and challenges come up to sort of bat against that. And that's part of the path. That's part of the journey. And I'm starting to, I think, very, very gradually realize that the challenge and the resistance is just a part of it and i'm starting to recognize that there are opportunities for more growth and more healing and more expansion but i just want it to be easy i just i just like can we just not have the challenge and can we just have the 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 good the good bits i
0: guess it's learning to have fun with the challenges and um letting go of it needing to be a certain way and Now that, like you said, your performances are infused with live creation there and then, and having that comfortability with spontaneity so that you can create something in that moment and just trust whatever's going to come out is going to come out one way or another.
1: Yeah, well, of course, when you're doing that, there's always the danger that things can go wrong or it's not going to sound as good as you thought it was going to sound. And that's been really amazing for me, healing the perfectionist in me and the control freak. So it's been a beautiful healing to perform like that. And you'd think, oh, if if you're a control freak and a perfectionist, why would you even choose to perform like that? Well, I didn't choose to perform like that. It was a calling that I couldn't ignore. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, even more than for audiences, it's been healing for me as a person and as an artist.
0: Do you, um, what sort of practices do you do to embody yourself? Like, do you do any like yoga or breath work or do you sort of obviously do your dancing and stuff like that, but what do you do any anything to sort of really embody?
1: For me, it really is mostly the movement and the dance. It's a spiritual practice for me, mm-hmm. to move and dance in that, in that conscious, spiritual, deep way. So that really is my main practice. I think making music is an embodied practice, but I'm starting to realize that anything you do in life can be a practice for embodiment. So my closest friend came over today and he is like a coffee aficionado. He's he he does this pour over coffee, but it's a spiritual ritual for him. And he's sort of taught me how to do it properly this morning. And honestly, it's one of the most embodied things I've ever done was to just be present with waiting for the water to boil in my special little um, spouted kettle to uh, clean the filaments of paper through the filter and then pour for 10 seconds and then wait and then stir and so that can be a practice for embodiment and i think actually finding opportunities for embodiment in any moment of any day can be and is starting to be for me actually the most profound practice of embodiment Um, because then that is life being embodiment, right? So it's, um, am I embodied when I'm doing the washing up or hoovering my living room or setting up my music equipment or writing an email? So our spiritual types love to go to a class and do a retreat and a workshop and all these wonderful things, these juicy, delicious things that we like to do. But then are we embodied and present when we're making our coffee, when we're washing up or when something challenging happens? um I do not have that down (laughs) I do not have that down um that is very much a thing that I'm starting only just starting to explore now
0: it was them I've been looking at the, the, the Taoist way and they said Zen just means to do one thing at a time and when I'm like hyper doing everything same as you now like when I cook my food no music on can I be present cutting this can I be and then I find that's when the emotion comes through. So it helped me appreciate why i had been so juggling lots of things because I was, I guess I was keeping these things out. Like whenever I go upstairs to hang up the washing, straight away, my body starts reacting. I have to lay on the floor and I cry and I'm like, whoa, that just needed to come out to allow me. Whereas normally I'd have something on music in, hang up the washing, go out here, do this. So yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been a practice to try and stay as present as I can whilst doing anything in life.
1: Yeah, and that's really hard because the, the mind is designed to make us unpresent <laughs> because of the way that it just throws random thoughts and images in, into your inner world all day. And in a way, I find it magnificent, like just totally brilliant the way that it does that, but um, it's not necessarily helpful for being present and grounded. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there was something else I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, because it's something that I'm. you've mentioned about how that you had a, par- like a partner that's helped you on this spirituality and they're also your best friend now. So it's almost like something I'm sort of working through and exploring like conscious relationships and things like that and knowing if a conscious relationship comes to an end, like, can you still keep that person in your life or how to sort of move forward with it? And I just wonder if there has been any sort of like challenges with it or where you sort of felt with it when you was going through the process?
1: The answer is yes, that you, you can. But I think both have to be really committed to truth, to love, to care. Um, Neo was my first ever proper partner. I was 28 years old i think and he'd had quite a few long-term relationships so for me it was completely new and we separated after two years and it was just in a moment there was a moment of grace that presented itself we had a conversation it was over dinner no no signs that this was going to happen we just started talking and i was saying oh you know Yeah, and I do just, I'm just finding this challenging and that challenging, he's like, oh, me too. And then within half an hour, we just said to each other, it feels like we're breaking up. It was so out of, it just emerged. And we had the intelligence to trust it. Could have easily gone, oh girl, shut up. Like, don't be so silly. And then stay together for another five years. Um, but there was that moment of grace that presented itself and we followed and we listened. And it was, yeah, I mean, it was uh, amazing. I'd say it took a good six months to a year to find our new dynamic and our new footing, but we are, were, we're supposed to be soulmates. We're supposed to be best friends and um, we're much better as friends than as partners. And that kind of friendship can, oh, I couldn't wish for or create a better, more loving, more supportive dynamic with a, with a human being. Yeah. It's such a gift. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think that's right for everybody to, to stay friends with a partner. I think probably for most people it's difficult and it depends what you've been through. It depends why you've separated, you know, if, if somebody's really damaged and hurt by the dynamic perhaps it's better to just you know that that can be just as spiritual and as conscious i don't think it's necessarily the right conscious thing to stay friends with an ex i think sometimes just to have nothing more to do with each other is probably healthier and and better so yeah i don't think there's any rules around what's right and what's conscious and what's spiritual Mm. i think we've got a lot of um stories and narratives in the new age and spiritual circles that it's, it's all love and light and peace and softness, and that's the right way, you know, and that that whole narrative is just another, an ego identity that can be used to, to deny and repress and bypass, can't it? Um,
0: I, I do feel so. like, for me, like that's why I wasn't really interested in spirituality. It seemed to, I was so in this world, like this grinding and getting on with things and pushing, that it was just like, I ain't got time for that stuff like i can't sit and listen to something and be all positive all the time when i'm fucking falling apart and have to keep going and put a smile on my face and pretend i think it's okay. like who are they to tell me how to whereas now i'm like oh this is what i needed but finding what resonates with you and finding those people that that speak to your soul i guess
1: yeah and spirituality for me isn't about love and light and positivity and uh all of those things Spirituality, for me, is about truth. Mm. It is about truth. And sometimes what's true is that I'm in despair. And I'm in grief. And I'm in sorrow. And spirituality is about how to be with that in truth. With your full heart and your full self. And sometimes I'm in joy and liberation and ecstasy, like last week when I was at Wilderness Festival, I was in exuberance and radiance and that was true. Right. So spirituality is about nothing else for me than just truth.
0: Yeah, no, that really makes sense to me as well. It's been like it's been hard apart. There's been times I think I wish I wasn't doing this or this hurts so much or this is. But if I was on medication since I was 16 till like only two years ago so I'd block everything out and just get on with it so it's been this is painful but I know through the pain something's gonna shift so it's like okay we've been through this this really sucked but you know you can get through it so are there any sort of um self-care tips or any sort of practices that you sort of do when the rough the road gets a bit challenging or how do you sort of bring yourself back to the present moment when you know i don't know whether an old emotion comes up or a new situation the actual world comes up how do you sort of like get yourself like more embody it i guess and and stay
1: let myself feel it yeah let it be i don't try to heal it I don't try to work on it i don't try to process it i just let it be and i just feel i spent so much of my past not feeling and not allowing any sense of sadness or negativity always had to be the bright flamboyant performer i just let myself feel it i don't wallow in it i just let it be there Friends. friends 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 talk talk ask for help oh still learning to reach out and ask for help and let people know that i'm struggling with something i i tend to sort of isolate and um disconnect myself when i'm struggling with something cuz i don't want to put it on people or let people know that i'm not the perfect image of togetherness that i i present to the world so i um i yeah friends oh friends 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 connection talking about it yeah um i think those are the two things those are the two things for me i don't necessarily feel that a cacao workshop or this workshop or that process is my way of healing and processing they're just things i like to do and yeah i get get insights and i have lovely experiences but for me, they're not really the way that I like to go through what I'm going through. For me, it's like just, I just feel it, that courage to feel and ask for help.
0: Mm. Well, that's yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's been a big lesson for me as well, and realizing that I don't have to be there for everyone else, they can be there for me and putting space between things as well when things get a bit much and communicating that because before I would probably ghost or disappear because I didn't know how to say anything and then have this guilt and then go back in again because I felt guilty so it was like this push pull but yeah it's been a big thing to be able like the relationship I've got with my mum now to feel like I can be a daughter and receive that as well and Allowing myself to say, I don't, something doesn't feel right. I, I need you just to listen rather than give me a solution.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Well, I feel like we've covered a lot today. Um, oh
1: gosh, we covered every corner, didn't we? <laughs> we
0: really did. So, what I'll do is I'll pop your details um, on the links below and then also your next event and stuff like that. So, people are interested or they want to find out more from you. And I believe you said on your Instagram, you've got people can download the last concert you did or if they're interested. Yes.
1: So, if you go to Gary with one R, Gary Albert Music. You'll find me on Instagram and garyalbertmusic.com. You can watch a beautiful cinematically filmed and gorgeously recorded um, concert of mine called Luminosity, which explores the wonder of the universe and the creativity of the cosmos and our place in the grand expanse, um, all through music and sound. I'm really proud of that piece. And you can go and stream that as an online concert. exquisitely filmed and um yeah you can find out the details of everything that i'm doing coming up i've got a big solo concert in hackney wick on the 22nd of september so this is 2022 for those of you that are listening um tickets you'll find tickets for that you know on social media somewhere i'm just about to release them uh, tomorrow and um yeah that's about it that's that's me yeah
0: it's amazing well thank you so much for your time i'm gonna stop the
1: recording. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mcami.